The opinions and views shared in this podcast are the opinions and views of the host and the host alone. They are not a reflection of his employer or any other organization that the host is a member of. The host does not speak for anyone, only himself. This is the I Am Pith Podcast. Get ready for contact. What's going on, everybody? This is your boy Dex with the I Am Pits podcast, and I'm back for another episode. You will have to pardon my tardiness. I had every intention of putting out a show sooner. However, we had an incident happen here in Louisville, which I'm going to talk about later in the show. And because of that incident, I have been switched to a different unit on a different shift, which is only temporary to kind of help saturate an area that needs to be saturated. So my schedule has completely flipped and changed. And trust me when I tell you, do not feel bad for me because I am absolutely loving this new unit that I'm in. It was the unit I was in before I left and went to the Border Patrol. And I'm loving the schedule and I love the people I work with there as well. So I'm in a good spot. Unfortunately, it's not permanent. I wish it was, but Maybe it'll be in a couple more weeks. Maybe it'll run to the end of the summer. I don't know. But either way, I'm going to take advantage of it. And like I said, I'm absolutely loving it. And it feels like I have a life again. Because, my Lord, I hate those 12-hour shifts. But, man, this shift, the schedule I'm currently back on, the 10-hour shifts, absolutely loving life, man. And can I tell you what else I'm currently loving? I am currently loving the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has been on a roll the last week. This new decision coming out of the Supreme Court, it strikes down New York law restricting gun carrying rights. And that is phenomenal because I'm a big proponent of the Second Amendment. But I will also say this. I was talking to my buddy yesterday while I was working off duty. I love the Second Amendment, but believe it or not, I am not a big gun guy. I like guns. I like shooting them. They're fun. Give me one. I can operate it. But. Money in my budget does not go towards guns. I kind of have what I need at the house and what I need for work, and that's it. I don't really get excited when the new coolest, hottest gun and bullets come out. I'm not into all that. I'm really not. And everybody's shocked by that because it's like, bro, you're Army, former Army infantry and a current cop. I know. I'm very proud of those things, but <laughs> brother, I'm not a big gun guy. But I support everybody that wants to be a big gun person and wants to. You want to blow half your budget? On firearms, my God, go for it. As long as you could do so legally, go. Hey, I'm all about that, man. So I look at it like this: I only have two hands and so much money. <laughs> so me having 300 guns is not gonna benefit my family at all whatsoever. And like I say, for some people, it's a lifestyle. For me, it's a me- it's a means to protect my family. And I don't need 300 guns to protect my family. But if you feel that you need 300 guns, my God, go get you 300 guns. Just don't let the federal government know. Don't tell the federal government about that boat accident that you had out on the Ohio River and all your guns got lost. Remember that, okay? (laughs) But, yeah, like so, um, very happy about that. That's awesome that gun rights are being expanded, especially in this time following Uvalde where there's so much hatred towards gun manufacturers and you know the anti-gun people so that's a step in the positive direction and the next thing the supreme court has done which has been very controversial and that is the overturning of roe v wade 
and now I'm going to say this. I'm not going to get far and deep into it. One, because personally, I really don't care. And I know a lot of people will probably have a problem with me saying that. Well, you should care because this, this affects women across the country. You have a wife. You have a daughter. I don't care. I'll say this. I'm happy that it happened. But I also understand why people are, are unhappy that it would happen. I'm looking at this thing from both both perspectives, okay? Because either way this goes, Roe v. Wade, while it was still in effect, didn't affect me. And now that it's being overturned, it does not affect me. I know it's going to affect women that I know. It's going to affect tons of people. But it does not. it's not impacting me directly because my wife and I, abortion was never a thing for us. Could have been, but it wasn't. So I'm not going to dwell on what could have been. I'm very happy with the prospect of babies not being slaughtered. But at the same time, I understand that it's not just the slaughtering of babies with Roe v. Wade, that there are medical things that happen. Women find themselves in, un, in predicaments in which they might have been raped or something. So my thing is with this whole thing with Roe v. Wade and the emotion behind it, man, and the division that it is causing it's just hard to see people I know and love on both sides of the argument. On one side, you have people gloating and throwing it in their face. Then on the other side, you have people believing that we don't care about women or that or that people don't care about, you know, babies born with defects. You know, it's like people just and that's why I said we people love to deal and live in the extremes. And if whatever you're looking for, you're going to find it. And I feel like people, we're looking for the worst of this situation in, on each side. You know, for the, for the people on the right, this is this is great. This is all great and positive for them. But they fail to realize that there are certain things that might come of this, I guess, from people on the left that they're not happy about. And I understand that, man. So like, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it. But what gets me is the people on the left side of the issue, the same people that are screaming, my body, my choice. Are the same people that were saying, no, you need to go get vaccinated. You're going to kill people if you don't get vaccinated. But I'm like, well, my body, my choice. Right. But that didn't know that didn't apply during COVID, but it applies only for abortion for women. And then my other issue is this. Didn't we just recently find out that people don't want to admit that admit to what a woman is? That has been a thing here recently where people are, what's a woman? Oh, I don't, I don't know. I'm not a biologist. What's a woman? We all know what a woman is, but the people on the far left don't want to admit to what a woman is. But yet now we want to be able to define what a woman is because it fits us politically, which is absolutely stupid. So that's that's my biggest issue with this thing right now is how divisive it has been, but how it is showing the hypocrisy on the left side of this thing for people where it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, no, 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 no. We know what a woman is now. It's crazy. You know, then we have crazy people coming out of the woodwork saying trans men and or excuse me, trans women. And, you know, these people you know deserve to have abortions. I'm just like, this is where we're at in America. huh? This is what we're doing. And then the people on the right, I've seen social media has just been annoying and it's disgusting. I mean, people can't even argue from their own perspective with their own original thoughts and words. 
So what they're doing is that, you know, they're seeing a really catchy meme or catchy post and they're taking it and they're posting it to other people to have a discussion that they're really honestly, intellectually, they really can't have on their own because I mean, hell, even I'm struggling through this thing because that's that's a lot involved with it. But just posting somebody else's talking points to prove your point, that's not productive. You know, you're just using somebody else's perspective. What about your own? You have to come up with your own perspective. But for me, the thing that's getting me from the right side of the aisle is I seen a post the other day. I didn't like it. It said, imagine people being so upset that they can't murder babies. And I saw I see that and I'm like, man, that's that's a push. I don't think people are upset that they can't murder babies. And I know that there are people out there that probably are upset because they can't murder babies. But we can't blanket everybody that's on a certain side of this issue with blanket statements like that, man. That's that's not right, because there are people that are advocating on the left that are advocating for women that have maybe some sort of medical issue, advocating for young girls or women that might have been raped. So just overall, this has been a very polarizing thing. And I really I just hate seeing it. I'm seeing people, you know, the police issue from a couple years ago and that's still ongoing has torn apart a lot of friendships and families. But this is going to do the same. And if not more, if not worse, because not everybody cares about the police, but not everybody knows police officers, but everybody knows a woman on some level. And honestly, I've not even put my opinion out there because, like I said before, one, I really don't care. It doesn't impact me one way or another. And I just, I mean, I'm, when it comes to the whole Roe v. Wade and abortion thing, I'm not going to lie. I'm extremely uneducated, but I un- understand the emotion behind it. And now I'm not uneducated because I'm just ignorant. You know, it's just the whole thing. I I see both sides of it. I really do. And honestly, it's just something I don't want to give my time and energy to because I you know I've, I have my own beautiful babies that I love and take care of and I'm going to raise, you know, and I am thankful that my children were born without any sort of issues and that me and my wife have healthy children. The worst thing we have to deal with with our children right now is eczema. And if that's all we got to deal with, I'm fine with that. But I couldn't imagine, you know, if uh, my kid would have been born with some sort of birth defect or something in the womb and or if my wife would have gotten sick during pregnancy and they would have had to terminate the pregnancy I couldn't even imagine having to make that choice so my heart goes out to any woman out there that has to make that choice so when I say I don't care it's not that I don't care about women and the choices that they have it's just personally man I don't have the time or energy in this day and age to give energy to that because there's just so much other stuff going on in the world and honestly if it's not affecting me directly right now I'm just not concerned with it because right now my main concern is taking care of my family. And that's plain and simple. And I know that that might seem short. So what about everybody else? You know what? I ain't worried about everybody else. I'm worried about me and mine's right now because right now inflation is up. Gas prices are crazy. (laughs) Crime is increasing in the cities. And you know what? As much as I, I do, I love everybody. I really do. But at the end of the day, I have to take care of my wife and kids first. And Roe v. Wade is not impacting me and my wife and my kids. So there you go. So I I keep it moving, man. Plain and simple. But I'll tell you what my biggest fear is. I see the passion behind this every day where I work downtown. At Second and Market, there's an abortion clinic. 
And I've talked about it on a show before where people are out there protesting all day and it's just a powder keg. I feel like with our current economy, the way things are, you know, the war in Ukraine, the, you know, supply chain issues. And we already know that there are crazy people in this world. And I feel like this is going to push them further to the fringes and currently and just detach them further from reality. And I feel like there's going to be some sort of domestic terror attack that's going to come out of this because people are crazy, man. And people are passionate. And when you mix those two things together, it gets dangerous. And the thing is, I don't know what side it's going to come from. I don't know. I, you can say it's going to be somebody from the left or the right. Either way, it's a scumbag move when you go and try to hurt people. And so for me, I'm just kind of hoping like, man, I really hope that people learn to tamper this down. Man, sign off social media. Take a break. Step away from the phone or the laptop or the tablet, homie. It is not worth the you know losing your mind over. And some people, it might be worth it, the fight, but personally, it's just not for me. But I just I just don't like where we're headed. I see something dark coming. And that's not me just being negative. That's just me being honest, because as we say in police work, it is the totality of the circumstances of everything going on in the country right now. That, that, that's what worries me. And when the totality of the circumstances hit all at once and somebody's already unstable, that makes for a bad situation for all of us. And not only does that make for a bad situation, our current president makes for a bad situation. Mr. Joe Biden, did y'all see this fool fall off of his bike? Oh, my God, my Lord. You know, I'm not going to lie. I laughed. I laughed hard, but I ain't, I felt bad about it. The dude is like almost 90 years old. I, the fact that he's still able to ride a bike while he has dementia is impressive. But seeing him fall off that bike, it got me. I was not expecting that. And just him just you know, <laughs> laying on the ground saying, I'm okay. I'm okay. It's like, oh, God, dude, please. Like somebody do something with this guy. And then the fact that he is so far gone mentally, it, that card that somebody took a picture of where it tells him everything to do step by step so he knows what to do. This is the man that is leading our country right now. Somebody that does, can't think for themselves and has to take cues from other people. Now, of course, he's not. He's the face of the country, but he's not the one calling the shots behind the scenes. Let's be honest. He, he's not. And that's just scary and just a bad look for America, man. I just it's just it was it's been a rough week for politicians out here, man. Politicians out here have been out here taking L's. We had another local politician here that took a major L the other day. Mayor Greg Fisher. So funny because I just saw him yesterday when I was working down at Shawnee Park. Uh, you know, he looked good. He looked good after getting decked, <laughs> decked at 4th Street Live by old boy. So he didn't look too bad. But if y'all don't know, we had an incident here the other day, well, last weekend. I was off. I just got off and I was driving home. I hadn't cut my radio off just yet. And then all I hear is panic on the radio. Somebody just attacked the mayor. I was like, oh, God, what? And when I hear attack the mayor, I'm thinking, it's just something pretty serious, like maybe the mayor seriously hurt. So that was my first concern. And so <laughs> I, I get back in my police car. I turn around, get back in my police car. And then I log on to the computer and I'm about to start heading to the area where the attack happened. And I realized that the mayor was just 
assaulted. He was actually punched. And my God, so I get this. I finally see the video of the attack. And man, let me tell you something. Whew. Homeboy mollywopped the mayor at 4th Street Live. And if you don't know what 4th Street Live is, people, 4th Street Live is in downtown Louisville. That is one of our major points of attraction for tourists out of town. Everybody's like, oh, my God, let me go see 4th Street Live. It's so cool. It's so cool. It's so hip. This is where everybody comes to. Nobody from Louisville goes to 4th Street Live. I'm not going to tell you where we go because if you come, you're going to ruin it for the rest of us. So all your tourists, keep going to 4th Street Live. That's where we let y'all be at. So, yeah, no. So I watched it. Like, so I watched the video, and my God, man, homeboy just walked up out of nowhere and molly whopped the mayor. I mean, it looked like he knocked him out of his damn shoes. My God, what a hit. But from what I'm seeing, and when I seen the mayor, the mayor didn't have any bruises on his face. I think he hit him in the neck, apparently, and the mayor's security, you know, and everybody's giving the mayor's security a hard time. Here's the deal. They're watching, they're looking around, but they can't be everywhere at every second. And this guy saw an opportunity and he took advantage of it. And, of course, the guy walked and got away, but you can't leave the mayor. You have to tend to the mayor. What you do is you put out a description, which is what they did in the uh, last known location of the fleeing suspect. Well, LMPD was able to catch this guy a couple days later because of some tips that came in. And let's be honest, the guy's crazy. He's absolutely crazy. But... I will let me say this about the whole situation. I've made light of it. Everybody's made light of it. The mayor getting hit. You know, I don't condone violence of any sort towards any person, especially political figures. But I mean, just anybody in general, political figures are not special. I don't condone violence. I hate that it happened, but I'm happy. I'm happy that the mayor was not seriously hurt. But uh, let me also say this. I don't feel bad for Greg Fisher at all. Why do I not feel bad for Greg Fisher for getting hit at 4th Street Live? Because it was not far from 4th Street Live almost two years ago. Because of the mayor's recklessness, choice of words, him allowing falsehood and lies to spread about the Breonna Taylor case and incident. Because of him, we've had officers get shot directly in front of me. Two of my fellow officers got shot in front of me. It's in my book, I Am Pitch. You can read about it. I will never forget that night. My, one of my good friends on the PD, Ryan, his leg got set on fire by a Molotov cocktail during the riots. He showed me the video. I've had friends assaulted. I've had people point guns at us. Man, I've had my family threatened. I've had my life threatened. I've been in fights out on the streets. All because of Mayor Fisher's recklessness with his mouth. So you want me to feel bad for the mayor because he created this entire monster. He created this environment. And now the monster has grown beyond his control and the monster's hungry and the monster is going to devour any and everything within its path, even the creator. And that monster finally got hungry and turned around and bit his creator. So for Mayor Fisher getting hit, I do not feel bad. I do not feel sorry for you. Welcome to the last two years of a police officer's life in the city. Hell, welcome to the last two years of any citizen that lives in this city, a taxpaying citizen that lives here. With the amount of carjackings going up, robberies, assault, everything. 
homicides are at an all-time high in this city. The only thing that makes separates you, Mayor, is the fact that we put your ass in that seat. People voted for you. And so you've been detached from all this. But now it's now you, the chickens have come home to roost because of all you have said and done. And I say, I'm glad you're okay. I'm glad you weren't seriously hurt. But my God, man, you're not going to get an ounce of sympathy from me. And the fact that when this guy got arrested, I would have been upset if they would have kept this guy's bond high and if they would have kept him in jail. Because when a normal citizen in this in this city becomes a victim of a crime and we catch that person, that person is ROR'd, released on their own recognizance as soon as they hit the jail. As soon as they hit the jail. And they're out. So the fact that this happened to the mayor, the mayor is not special. He's a citizen just like anybody else. I don't care if he's an elected official. You don't get special treatment, mayor. And so I was glad when they lowered this guy's bond because I can't tell you how many times I've arrested people for a misdemeanor assault forth and nothing happens with it. That's my biggest thing. We are not going to sit here and treat the mayor as though he is special, but we've had cops get you know, assaulted and hurt and people have done so much crap to us over the years and nobody's ever really been held accountable for it. A few people here and there, but man, there were thousands of people out in the streets over the last few years and the amount of people that have been held accountable, it's minimal, extremely minimal. So I'm not going to sit here and dwell on this for long because I'm not, I'm not going to gloat about it. I'm really not. You know, when I saw that somebody set up a GoFundMe for the guy that hit the mayor, I thought it was funny, but I didn't like it because I don't believe in supporting criminals. This person is crazy. This person is a predator. And if it would have happened to me or somebody else, I wouldn't want somebody laughing about it. Although, like I said, I'm guilty. I laughed. I just felt like it's kind of ironic. <laughs> that's that's it. Just felt like it was ironic. But I'm, I'm glad he wasn't seriously hurt. But the thing that also gets me is this new buzzword that keeps going around and the mayor keeps using it. He used it in an article. It happened the day after he got hit. And it's from a local paper here. It says Mayor Fisher says he channeled his inner Ali after punch and the mayor calls for unity i am so sick and tired of hearing the word unity from our mayor and from our politicians everything's unity what do we need we need unity that's a buzzword and i'm sick of hearing it why because when people say unity what they're really saying they want they don't want unity they want submission and they want us to conform to their way of life because unity is a thing where you can have unity with people that you disagree with. But this is 2022 and we are so polarized. Unity is only achieved if I shed what I believe makes America great. If I shed what I believe that makes me a good conservative. Unity only happens if I shed my beliefs of being a Christian and conform to your way of life. That is the only way we're going to have unity today. And I'm not doing that. And the mayor constantly says it, unity. We just need unity. We want unity. Well, how are we going to get mayor, unity, mayor, when you're constantly polarizing and picking and choosing sides on issues you shouldn't be? Because, like I said, that's just the way of politics nowadays. There is no unity to be had right now because politicians are standing in the way of unity. 
And so I'm so sick and tired of the buzzword unity. And because this buzzword unity, I know that if I disagree with somebody, they're going to be they're going to say, well, you're an intolerant, you're racist or you're a bigot. They don't want unity. They just want appeasement. And I'm not willing to do either or I'm not willing to strip what I believe from myself to have unity. If we can't come together on our differences and focus on the things that draw us together, we'll never be a community. We're never going to be a unified country. And right now we're showing signs that we are not capable of doing that at the local level or at the federal level. We just continue to split at the seams on the, at, you know, here in Louisville and on the larger level, man. And it's, it's disheartening. I'm tired of seeing it. So tired of seeing it. And because of that, we constantly keep splintering off into smaller and smaller groups. We keep splintering to further and further to the fringes. And more and more people are just going out further and further away. And that's the biggest thing that drives me crazy with America right now. Is just like I said it earlier, the division, the division is getting so bad. And I mean, it's like almost the people in the middle are starting to figure I feel like they have to choose a side. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to have to choose a side. I just want to be on the side of reasonableness. Where's the camp for reasonable in any of this stuff? It seems to just be gone right now, just up in the air. We can, you know, reasonableness can create unity. But the thing is, nobody seems to be reasonable. Everybody just seems to be up. Oh, nope, I'm on this side. You're on that side. Yep, let's go to our respective corners. I'm going to go yell in my echo chamber, and everybody in my echo chamber is going to be like, yeah, you told that liberal. Yeah, you told that conservative. That's where we're at right now. And the further we go and split into these fringe groups, the more we're going to have groups like Patriot Front. If you don't know who Patriot Front is, let me be the first to say I find them absolutely disgusting because they claim to be patriots and they're not. They are simply racist. They are not patriots. And so for those that don't know, Patriot Front, they are a white supremacist group with a neo-Nazi roots. Their goal is to reclaim America as a white nation. So Patriot Front was founded in 2017, okay? And that happened after the Charlottesville riots, I guess you could call it. If you don't remember the Charlottesville riot, that's where the guy was driving the Dodge Charger down the street and drove it into a crowd and hurt a bunch of people and he killed a protester. And that's and so they broke off from a group there. And that's why I was saying earlier, People keep continuously splintering into smaller and smaller groups and going further into the fringes. That's where this group started. Like I say, they're a white nationalist group. They're turds. They're the micro penis brigade, as I call them. It's a real little dick energy, man. That's all it is. But my buddy from I've known a long, long time since probably my God, like fifth or sixth grade, Ozell. Shout out to my homeboy. He sent me this article, I believe it was from CNN, in which 31 members of Patriot Front were arrested in Idaho after an alarm 911 caller reported a group dressed like a little army getting into a moving truck. Police in Cordillon, Idaho, arrested 31 men believed to be linked to a white nationalist group who had plans to riot at a weekend pride event, authorities said. The large group, which police believe was affiliated with Patriot Front, was seen at a hotel piling into a U-Haul with riot gear. The caller told the 911 dispatcher they were later pulled over and arrested by the police chief and his officers in Cordelia. Yeah, I'm butchering that name. My bad. The group was headed to the Pride in the Park event. And the event included a Pride walk and performances by local musicians, 
dancers and drag artists. So all these guys were arrested for going to this pride event and they were going to cause trouble, cause a riot. And hence the reason why they had riot gear and riot shields. And, and I, I hate groups like this. And when people use the word patriot to describe their group, this is not patriot behavior. You know, the definition of a patriot is a person who loves, supports and defends his or her country and its interests with devotion or a person who regards himself or herself as a defender, especially of individual rights against presumed interference by the federal government. Going to the pride parade to pick a fight with Americans who choose to live an alternative lifestyle is not a patriot activity. What you're doing is you're being a bully. Because a true patriot would never go and do such a thing. I'm a patriot. Hence why I named my book, I Am Pitts, Memoirs of an American Patriot. Because see, as a patriot, for me, I do not celebrate Pride Month. I don't believe in Pride Month. But you know what I will celebrate? I will celebrate the fact that you live in a country that allows you the ability to live an alternative lifestyle that even though I disagree with it. And because of that, I take my oath to this country seriously. I take the Constitution seriously. And even though I disagree with it, a true patriot will stand up for somebody else's rights to live their life how they choose to live, even if they disagree with it at heart. That's why I'm a patriot. See, I protect people's way of life, no matter how I feel about it personally. I protect people's freedom of speech, no matter how I feel about it personally. I don't like Black Lives Matter, but I will stand in front of Black Lives Matter to protect them while they're expressing their opinion, even if it affects me. I don't like the KKK or Patriot Front or white supremacists. But guess what? If they want to have a rally downtown and they get all the permits and stuff they need, I will stand in front of all them racist ass white boys that hate me because of the color of my skin. And I will allow them to speak and say the most horrible things to me because that is what a patriot does. I've stood in front of protesters, white and black, for the last two years that have said the most evil, horrible things to me. And guess what? I would do it again because I believe in this country. I believe in the First Amendment. I believe in the Constitution. It means that much to me. You know, the, the Constitution does not care about your personal feelings. And so for me to hear this group Patriot Front use the, the word patriot in their name disgusts me because I'm a patriot and I take that personally. That's not a patriot. It's a garb. It's garbage. They're a garbage organization. And they're just one of the many garbage organizations out there. You know, people feel like I placate size, but I really don't. Because if you ask me, I look at Patriot Front, the Proud Boys, Antifa, BLM, and many more organizations. I see them all the same. All they are is a group that lives on the fringes. They're a group of an eclectic group of losers from across the country that find a home and solace amongst other losers. That's all it is. And they exploit people and they exploit situations and they attack weak people at their weakest point. And so for be for to call themselves patriots or to call themselves, you know, freedom fighters, I'm not buying that. Man, we were at war for 20 plus years and now all of a sudden you want to come here, now you all of a sudden you want to go and fight somewhere. Get the hell out of here with that, man. Y'all ain't patriots, y'all are not freedom fighters. You know, I'm really sick of all these fringe groups that keep popping up. And like I said, there's going to be more of them. So get ready for the ride, <laughs> I guess. But my God, 
But, you know, there is one group of people that I care about dearly in this country. And that is my fellow brothers and sisters of the Thin Blue Line and law enforcement. This is a cop show, pretty much, you know. I'm a cop. I've been a cop for 13 years. And I love the men and women of law enforcement. But unfortunately, when I love, when you love someone or something so much, you have to call it out and you have to hold it accountable. And I would expect, expect the same thing from somebody else looking at me as a fellow law enforcement officer. If I do something that's not great, I would expect that person to be like, hey, Dex, that's not cool, bro. You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have did that. Or, And I don't mind the criticism. But as long as you're criticizing me from a good place and criticizing me to help make me better, I'm absolutely OK with that. I don't believe in crapping on people just to crap on them. But, you know, there's something I take this profession serious. Y'all know that I take my oath serious and I take, you know, this nothing in this profession should be taken lightly. And that is why I have to talk about the current updates coming out of Uvalde. And I told you all. I was kind of holding back on the last episode. I know it's two hours, but I, I wasn't ready to crap on people. And I'm still not 100% ready to crap on people. But I am ready to start spreading them cheeks and letting some stuff fall out. Because, man, the things that we are, the updates coming out of Uvalde, I'm almost at a loss for words of it. I just, it's hard to believe. And it's just like, I held back because it's like I didn't want to believe some of the stuff I was hearing. Because it wasn't factual or known at the time. But uh, some updates are coming out about Uvalde. And, and like I said, it should be noted that the investigation is still early in its process. And things are not 100%. But facts do keep emerging and changing. But the Texas DPS director, but the Texas Department of Public Safety director, he called the Uvalde massacre an abject failure. So in this article by law officer... So I read this article in Law Officer. It said there's compelling evidence that law enforcement response to the attack of Rob Elementary was an abject failure and antithetical to everything we've learned over the last two decades since the Columbine massacre. McCraw said responding officers waited for more than an hour before they stormed the classroom and killed the gunman who had already murdered two teachers and 19 children. As it turned out, the classroom door could not be locked from the inside. Sadly, there was no indication that anyone checked to see if it would open. Instead, they waited for a key. I have great reason to believe it was never secured, McCraw said of the door. How about trying the door and seeing if it's locked? Delays in the law enforcement response have become the focus of federal, state, and local investigations. Obviously, not enough training was done in this situation, plain and simple, because terrible decisions were made by the on-site commander, McCraw said. It's inappropriate that it took 74 minutes for the officers to enter the rooms 111 and 112 and engage the shooter. The officers had weapons. The children had none. The officers had body armor. The children had none. The officers had training. The subject had none. One hour and 14 minutes and eight seconds. That's how long the children waited. And the teachers waited in room 111 to be rescued. And while they waited, the on-scene commander waited for radio and rifles. <sighs> You know, I said on the last podcast that this whole thing was failures on multiple levels, and it absolutely was. And we have to put blame in the appropriate place 
of course, the blame lays on the shooter because he's the one that started this incident. But we have to take accountability and responsibility for our response in law enforcement. And the Uvalde Police Department failed. Not just that, the leader, Arredondo, this dude failed. And the one thing that bothers me about him was some of the statements he made. And it's just, it's a leadership failure all the way around. I mean, everything falls and rises on leadership, and this guy has not taken any responsibility for this. And that is the first sign of a bad leader. And you can tell by some of his responses to the situation in the news, he's already lawyered up, and he has already made statements that you could tell are very lawyerish statements that he was told to make. And the one thing that gets me is his uh his statement about his radio. So I guess when the shooting happened, he said he rushed to the building and he left his radio behind. So uh, according to this article I read, it said uh, to Arredondo, the chief, the choice was logical. An armed killer was loose on the campus of the elementary school. Every second mattered. He wanted both hands free to hold his gun, ready to aim and fire quickly and accurately if he encountered the gunman. Thinking he was the first officer to arrive and wanting to waste no time, Arredondo believed that carrying the radios would slow him down. One had a whip-like antenna that would hit him as he ran. The other had a clip that Arredondo knew would cause it to fall off his tactical belt during the run, during running. Arredondo said he knew from experience that the radios did not work in some of the school buildings. As a leader, as a chief, the most important thing, even more important than your gun, is your communication, your radios, man. There's no logical explanation or reason to leaving your radio equipment behind. I mean, you can say whatever you want to say, but that to me, that's a BS response. That's a very lawyerish response. He's trying to cover his failures is what that is. And because of that... The lack of communication led, I'm not going to say led to all these kids getting slaughtered, but man, it just, it's an abject failure. It really is. It's its disgusting. It, that should never happen. I mean, I mean, there's no, there's no excuse not to have your radio with you. I've been policing 13 years. Every sergeant I see and know has their radio readily available. I mean, there's clips you could put on and he says that, you know, it had a, it had a clip, but it would fall off. Well, find a way to secure it better. And the antenna, the whole antenna thing would hit me as I'm running. Get out of here, bro. No. And then the whole, I wanted to have my hands free. And I completely understand having your hands free. But, bro, you have pockets. There are places you could put your radio and still communicate. Because even if you're the first officer on scene, I understand you want to have your hands ready. But, dude, you have to be able to ready to communicate because it's chaos. If you're not at least attempting to communicate with other responding officers, you run the risk of having a blue on blue type situation where officers are shooting at each other. And like I said, this is just an abject failure. That's all it is. And this is it's all on the chief, man. He didn't have his radios and apparently he gets inside the building. And he's using the cell phone. And I'm just like, what the heck? 
And then he's calling for radio. And my thing is, he says his radios didn't work inside the building, but he makes a call with the cell phone asking for more rifles and asking for radios. I'm like, but if the radios don't work inside the building, why would you make that statement that you need radios? That's why I'm just kind of I'm done with this guy. And last I heard, he's been put on administrative leave, which he should be. And honestly, I mean, once the investigation figures out, definitely should be fired. But I'm sure he will probably resign way before then. And one of the biggest things that kept me from making a lot of statements on this issue was the timeline. The timeline was so confusing. Like I said, it went from at one point 30 minutes to an hour and 40 minutes. And now it's kind of narrowed down to about where it was about 70 minutes total. So I kind of have a better timeline from the Texas Tribune, and it puts out uh, here are some of the key facts from these from the records. So what people don't know is that they've had the initial investigation and hearing, and what they did, they took some of the radio traffic and they took some of the footage from the cameras inside the hallway and in the building and kind of meshed them all together to kind of fill in some of the gaps on the timeline. And it says no security footage from inside the school showed police officers attempting to open the doors to the classrooms 111 and 112, which were connected by an adjoining door. Arredondo told the Tribune that he tried to open one door and another group of officers tried to open another, but that door was reinforced and impenetrable. Those, uh, those attempts were not caught in the footage reviewed by the Tribune. Some law enforcement officials are skeptical that the doors were ever locked. So now we have a, you know, a contradiction here. The chief said that he got keys and that he tried the doors but that the doors weren't able to be open and that they were reinforced. But now there's possibly evidence that the doors might not have been locked. So there's kind of one of those situations where it's like, were the doors really locked or were they not? Because the DPS director is saying that the doors weren't locked and weren't able to be locked from the inside, but the chief on the ground is saying, yes, the doors were locked. Maybe they had them secured. I don't know. Who knows? So and then uh, another bullet point here says, within the first few minutes of law enforcement response, an officer said that that there was a Halligan tool available on site. It wasn't brought into the school until an hour after the first officers entered the building. Authorities didn't use it and instead waited for keys. So it that was my whole argument at first when I learned of this was, man, people, why didn't they go in? And my response was, well, maybe they didn't have the equipment necessary to get into the building. Well, it turns out, there was equipment on site and they waited an hour to use it. Failure. Officers had access to four ballistic shields inside the school during the standoff with the gunman, according to a law enforcement transcript. The first arrived 58 minutes before officers stormed the classroom. The last arrived 30 minutes before. 58 minutes before officers stormed the classroom. My God. That's... Four shields. And like I said, my argument was they didn't have the equipment. But even then, you still don't have to wait for a ballistic shield, man. A ballistic shield is a tool. It is not a necessity. It's when there's kids being slaughtered, you just got to get in there. And like I said, I was not very critical last on my last show because I wasn't sure. But now I can be a little bit more critical because this is unacceptable. In another bullet point, it says multiple Department of Public Safety officers, up to eight at one point, entered the building at various times while the shooter was held up. Many quickly left to pursue other duties, including evacuating children after seeing the number of officers already there. 
at least one of the officers expressed confusion and frustration about why the officers weren't breaching the classroom, but was then told that no order had been given to do so. So we had all these officers in the hallway, and there are officers on the video and on the radio. You can hear them saying, if there's kids in there, we need to go in there. And then another officer says, we haven't been ordered to. I have a big problem with that. There's an old saying, it's better to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission. And this is one of those situations where, you know what, if there's people being slaughtered, especially kids, you don't have to wait for an order to go and do your damn job. You just go and do your job. It's like me rolling up to somebody, uh, an armed gunman at a store. I'm not going to call my sergeant and ask for permission. As one of my old sergeants told me, you're a grown man with a gun and a badge. Figure it out. Do your job. You make the decision then and there. You don't wait for your chief. You don't wait for the freaking mayor or anybody else to give you make to give you the permission to do your job, especially when there's children being killed. That's unacceptable. And it seemed like the officers in the hallway. I'm not going to call them cowardly, but I just I don't understand the mindset of. Hold on. Wait, 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 wait. Some of them were saying they thought it was a hostage situation. I don't know. But waiting over an hour when kids have been shot and killed. Ah, nah, bro. I, I can't support that. There's no nothing in my mind tells me from my training and my train of thought you know, that if I know that something's happening and people are being hurt, I'm I'm not waiting to act. I'm not getting permission to act. I'm doing that's my train of thought. And our last little point here says at least some officers on the scene seem to believe that Arredondo was in charge inside the school. And at times, Arredondo seemed to be issuing orders such as directing officers to evacuate students from other classrooms. That contradicts Arredondo's assertion that he did not believe he was running the law enforcement response. Arredondo's lawyer, Georgie Howard Hyde, said the chief will not elaborate on his interview with the Tribune giving the ongoing investigation. You know, I will be the first to say I am not a tactical genius or aficionado. I really don't know at all. But there's a saying on police scenes, and I've heard it since the start of my career. I've heard it in the Army. Get busy, find work. There is always something to do. If If you're not doing something, find something to do. Evacuate kids, do something. If you're waiting for somebody to give you orders to do something, you're wrong. There's always something to do. Constantly improve your position. Look for exit routes. Look for any anything. Do something. But don't just sit around waiting to be told what to do. Know your job. Know your skills. Know what you're capable of doing. Do something. And a bunch of guys were just standing around looking at their chief like, hey, what are we doing? That is a lack of training. And that's a horrible lack of training. And it was like, well, they just recently had training like a couple, uh, what, a month or a couple weeks before this incident happened. And still they failed to do so. And but no, and that's probably a culture that they've created within that department of you don't know, you don't do anything. You always ask for permission. And that's just, it's, just, it's a cultural thing, I'm guessing. And that, I just don't see that happening here in Louisville with our police department and the way we train. I just don't see it happening here. And, I mean, we got a lot of hard chargers here. Not everybody here in Louisville is a hard charger, but I trust most of the officers that I work with to do to make the decision that needs to be made. 
and to go get stuff done. And I said, I don't know anything about the Uvalde Police Department, but from what I'm seeing right now, it's a hot mess. And my God, unfortunately, they, they have blood on their hands from this incident. And the last thing I'm going to talk about in reference to the Uvalde response was this article. And this absolutely set my soul on fire. Because I defended this last week and I said, one of my statements was actually, I don't believe that there's officers that would have been in that hallway that had they known that an officer's family member or child or wife was in that building, that they would not have done everything in their power to get in there and save that child. Because I believe that is here where I work. I know that for sure. But it apparently is the complete opposite in Uvalde. And I was doing everything to try to defend these officers in this hallway because I know cops and I just have a hard time believing that what I'm about to read actually happened. This article says police officer, husband of slain Uvalde teacher detained, disarmed after he tried to save his wife. McCraw also revealed that the husband of slain elementary school teacher, Eva Morales, identified as Uvalde CISD police officer Ruben Ruiz, tried to save her, but officers in the school prevented him from doing so. McCraw said the teacher called her husband shortly after the gunman attacked her classroom and told him she had been shot and was dying. Her husband tried to move forward to the, into the hallway, McCraw said. He was detained and they took his gun away from him and escorted him off the scene. McGraw did not reveal which agency removed his firearm. Bro, what the F, man? Like that, my heart hurts reading that. This man's wife's in there and you all are just standing in the hallway and you don't even try to help. I mean, there's just no, there's no explanation for this. A lot of people are saying it's unforgivable and I understand that sentiment, but I, I don't believe in the, the unforgivable, it being unforgivable, but it's unimaginable. Like I, I'm just trying to picture a fellow officer retaining me from going to help my child and my children when you are standing in the hallway and you have everything you need and you're not doing anything and my wife calls me dying in my mind i'm like bro let's get into this room now let's go save your wife let's go save these kids but they disarmed a fellow officer disarmed a fellow officer and let his wife died and these kids man like that i I just can't. I don't understand. I'm upset. I'm pissed off. And I said, I want to wait for more facts and details. But my God, I don't like there's nothing else I need to hear or know that's going to change these facts. But this is oh God, man. Like I said, I'm not going to say it's unforgivable, but Jesus, man, you are definitely not getting invited to the Christmas party or the birthday parties, man. How do you disarm a fellow officer? And people will make excuses for this stuff. Like, well, what happened was, you know, no, no, you know, dude, there's there's no defending any of this. Like I said, I could defend it last week when I didn't know all the facts. And like I said, we still don't know all the facts, but I hear and see enough to be able to put my foot down and say this is jacked up on so many levels. I'm not going to say this all could have been prevented. We don't know how many kids were dead by the time the officers. Nobody knows, but 
the optics of this is just horrible and it just makes all of us in police policing look bad and that's why i said earlier accountability and personal responsibility goes a long way especially in this profession we have to be ready to respond we have to be ready because these incidents are happening more and more and more and we have to care enough about our fellow officers and their families to do whatever the hell we have to do to get into that room to save them i don't know what they waited for i really don't know you had what you needed was it cowardice? I don't know. It's, it's hard to say what it was. I don't know. But whatever it was, it's unacceptable. But everyone is using the incident from Uvalde to crap on officers across the nation. And I understand the sentiment. But Uvalde is a small town and a small percentage. It's not even a percentage of the officers in America. I mean, there's thousands. I mean, Millions of cops across the country. But man, this, but people are using this one bad incident to further crap on my beloved profession. And I don't like that because what, what we have to do is ask, what's your focus? If you're focusing only on the negative that happens with law enforcement, of course, you're going to use this and blanket all officers in all departments across the nation. And that's not fair. You're only looking for the negative. But we have departments across the nation that get it right and do it right. And so if you're looking for the ones that are doing it right, you'll find it. There was another attempted mass murder of our beautiful children here in America. And this happened in Duncanville, Texas. And in this article, it says police in Dallas area kill a gunman who entered a summer camp for kids. A gunman opened fire inside a building where more than 250 kids and staff were starting the day of a summer camp on Monday, setting off panic that ended with a gunfight with Dallas with police in Duncanville, Texas. Officers shot the attacker, who was later declared dead at a local hospital. Authorities are crediting the fast response by camp staff and police with preventing injuries to anyone else. So this guy goes to the summer camp, pulls out a pistol and starts shooting. And the police respond accordingly and they eliminate the threat. So shout out to Duncanville PD on the proper response. That's what I'm saying. What's your focus, man? If you're looking at Uvalde as the golden standard for police across the country, that is not fair. Hold Uvalde accountable for Uvalde. Don't hold the rest of this profession accountable for Uvalde because none of us were there. I wasn't there. None of us were there. I was at home when it happened. That's not my fault. It's not my responsibility because I wear a badge. I can only control what I do in my area on my time when I'm on the clock. I can't take up for everybody across the country. And that's not fair that they're using Uvalde to crap on this entire profession. But with this one in Duncanville, man, it got real interesting because the uh, the shooter, apparently the shooter has a history of mental illness. As I said in the last episode, we have a problem in this country with mental illness and the lack of care for mental illness. And so the shooter's family gave a statement. And the I guess the uh, shooter's brother said, uh, my brother had no intentions of hurting anyone. He had a paranoid episode from being bipolar. He reached out to walk. He reached out to talk with a friend only in friendship, nothing beyond that. And he got in the car with her to drop her children off at the field house. They didn't have any disagreements or arguments all at all that morning. She went inside to drop her children off and had them call the police because he needed help. 
Him not knowing that she did this, he only went inside to get her because he wanted to go. He had his gun on him, but not to purposely or intentionally harm anyone. They said that a coach approached him. I don't know if it was aggravating or not, but he pulled out his gun. He definitely didn't pull it out to harm any children. They said that he shot in a classroom with children. And in parentheses, it says, we all have to wait on the camera footage for that. So, of course, the family's upset that their loved one shot and killed by the police. And, of course, they're not going to let him take responsibility for his actions because that's just what happens with families in these type of situations, unfortunately. But we cannot deny this man went to this building full of children following the Uvalde massacre and was firing shots inside the building. So I don't know what the family expects, but unfortunately, you know, it happened and the police responded accordingly. And because Duncanville PD responded accordingly and got it right, they saved the lives of who knows how many children. And that makes me happy. And I feel like, you know what, that should be the focus of every law enforcement agency across the country right now. Every law enforcement agency across the country should be, hey, we're not doing any other training right now. Right now, because of the the response in Uvalde was so egregious, our main focus right now, it should be on proper response to an active aggressor, how to breach doors, how to breach rooms. You know, we need more training. And that has been the biggest thing with law enforcement over the years is we don't train. We don't have the bodies and we don't have the budget to train. But unfortunately, so when things happen and we don't respond accordingly, we get crapped on. But, you know, it's like it's really not our fault because we don't like I said, we don't have the time. We don't have the money or the bodies. But you know what? With this stuff constantly happening more and more, we have to pour resources into the training so that we can prevent Uvalde from happening again. Because, my God, I would not want to be one of the officers in Uvalde right now. Me and my buddy were talking and I think I said it on the last show. Some of these officers are going to kill themselves, probably. I would hope they don't, but my God, I could not live with that on my heart and mind for the rest of my life. I just couldn't. And you know what? This all could have been prevented by better training, further training, and not just on the lower level, the highest level. But So we had that happen, and then we had an incident happen here in Louisville. And I was telling you at the top of the show this incident that happened. We had five juveniles shot here in Louisville at the Big Four Walking Bridge downtown where I work. Five kids shot. It's a mass casualty. It's a mass shooting. And so, of course, what do we do? We do what we normally do. We saturate the area with officers to help people feel safe. And, you know, I was so we started saturating the bridge. I was down at the bridge. And this is typical America. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if people are just completely unaware that five young black kids were shot down at this bridge and people just live under a rock. But we're out there in force trying to make sure the public's safe, saturating the area. And people, why are there so many officers here? Doesn't this seem a bit excessive? This is a, this is this is a police state. And my response is, well, I guess you do. You just want to see more black kids get shot. You want to see more young black kids get shot. That what it is. Excuse me. Yeah, we had five black kids get shot here, sir. That's why we're out here. Do you you and your family want to be safe walking the bridge? That's why we're here. You know, it's just I'm about to get off on a side tangent, but that just it just drives me crazy when people see police in mass and wonder, why are you here? We're here for you, homie. Who, why else we're here? 
Don't you think I'd rather be somewhere? I'd rather be at home with my family. But no, I'm here because I care about you, your family and your safety. I care that you want to come down to this nice waterfront park that we have and enjoy with your family without the worry of bullets flying. That's why I'm here. Ah, oh, man, I don't know what it is with civilians. My God. And yeah, like so I'm about to get off on a side tangent, but let me let me get back on track. So LMPD's response to this is to saturate the area. But our all, our other response is training. But we're not training how you think we're going to train. You know what we're training on? Transformation and racial healing. And so the department has, I don't know when this came about, but we leadership in their infinite wisdom has decided that our focus is going to be on transformation and racial healing. And we are taking this class that's put on. And so everybody on the police department is being forced to take an eight hour class put on by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, Truth, Racial Healing, and Transformation. And the, it's, this is from the book. It says, our vision is to prove our capacity as communities and as a country to see ourselves in each other so that we can shape a more equitable, I hate that word, equitable future with opportunities for every child to thrive. And the introduction to the class, it says, the why and the what and why of Truth, Racial Healing, and Transformation. The W.K. Kellogg Foundation led Truth, Racial Healing and Transformation Enterprises, a multi-year national community based effort to engage communities, organizations and individuals from multiple sectors across the United States in racial healing and addressing present day inequities linked to historic and contemporary beliefs in a hierarchy of human value. The absurd belief, which has fueled racism and conscious and unconscious bias throughout American culture, is the perception of inferiority. Uh, or superior based on race, physical characteristics, or place of origin. If America aspires to be a place where children can thrive, where equal value of all human beings is the foundation for our society, then we must jettison racial hierarchy and replace it with the capacity to see others in one another and transform the structural and systematic manifestations of this devastating belief. <sighs> oh, and there's more. The approach examines how the belief system became embedded in our society, both in culture and structures, and then works with communities to design and implement effective actions that will permanently uproot it. And since the first European settlers arrived on our shores centuries ago, American culture has placed the relative worth of whites above all others and at times violently enforced this through annihilation, enslavement, colonization and cultural genocide. The adopted and embedded mindset and belief has restricted the quality of life for people of color while limiting opportunities for success and limiting the realization of the full potential of our democracy. This is the training. This is the exact training we need to be prepared for an act of aggressors. This is what we need. We need transformation and racial healing because that is the biggest threat to us right now. Not all these mass shootings going on. We need to be more equitable. That's our focus right now. Boy, I'm about to curse, man. Are you effing serious? An eight-hour course on your races, you just don't know it. An eight-hour course on you're a victim. It's not your fault. Eight hours in a classroom on this. You know, and I had some people check me online that are officers here. They're black. And let me be the first to say, they're great people. 
I don't have a problem with people disagreeing with me or having a different opinion or approach. One of them said, you know, we should have well-rounded officers. And I agree. We should, as officers, be well-rounded. But we don't need an eight-hour class on transformation and racial healing. If you want to learn more about this, go get a college class. You want to teach us about this stuff on the PD, which they have been shoving this and cramming this crap down our throats for, my God, the last few years. I can't tell you how many classes on biasness I've been on, and I don't disagree that there are biases within us. But that should not be our focus right now. If you're going to do this class, okay, give me four hours on this, but then give me four hours on breaching. Give me four hours on active shooter aggressive response because our focus right now should be keeping what happened in Uvalde from happening here. Like I said, we had five kids shot at a bridge. Why is our focus on racial and transformation healing and not tactical approaches, medical training? You know, I got a buddy. He says that we're getting ready to go through the TACMED class here. It's a very intense medical class for tactical medicine, and all of us are going to be taking it. But that's next year. Well, I don't want to wait for next year. We need this training now. And, yes, I do believe that we received some decent training here on Louisville Metro Police Department. But I'll be honest. The last time I went through an active aggressor training put on by the PD for everybody, it's been years. Years. Man, the, the specialty unit I'm on, we went and did some training at school about a week or two ago. But that was only because I was part of the specialized unit. But our average regular everyday officers, we don't get this. You know, we might go to roll call. We'll watch a video and we'll get decent training in roll call. But we'll only get that for maybe 15, 20, 30, 45 minutes an hour. But we're going to do eight hours on your racist, this country's racist, on white supremacy. That's that's our focus as a police department. No. That should not be our focus. We are here to enforce the law and help and protect people. And I understand that, yeah, there's a place for all of this in training, but it should not be an eight hour course. We're taking officers off the street for eight hours on racial healing. In what world does this make sense when the priority is to address the recent threat, the most current threat? What's going to hurt us first? It's not racial healing and transformation. Racism is not our greatest threat in this profession right now. Our greatest threat to this profession is the lack of mental health and these people out here getting guns that don't need guns and going out here and trying to kill a lot of people. That is our main, should be our main focus right now. That's the greatest threat to us right now. It happens, man. We have shootings every day in this city. I mean, you just never know from shift to shift or hour to hour when you're going to be involved in a critical incident. But this is our focus, eight hours. And I understand people, man, you're not being, you're not being understanding. Of, man, let me tell you something. I am well-versed in all of this. I am well-versed in racism. I'm well-versed in, you know, white supremacy. Man, you're not going to tell me nothing I don't know. But to sit here and say that this should be our focus, it's disgusting and it's egregious. And it's a horrible lack of leadership on our leader's behalf. You know, but the good thing is we have some good sergeants on our police department that take it upon themselves to reach out to our SWAT team to come to their roll call. And, hey, we're going to have roll call training at this location so we can learn to do this thing here. Me personally, I want to learn more about responding to these active aggressive incidents because I work downtown. Downtown is the hub of the city. In downtown, we have event menus. There's always some sort of mass gathering going on in the downtown area. 
And guess what? If there's going to be something to happen, it's going to happen in the downtown area because that is where a majority of the people have gathered. I don't want to respond to a shooting, a mass mass casualty incident. And the first thing is on my mind, who needs racial healing? Sir, I know you've been shot, but do you need racial? Can you transform me? Can I transform you? I need to transform your mind from the white supremacist's mind to help you, sir. No, that he don't care about that. This man wants his bullet hole plugged up and he wants to live to see his family. This is not what my fellow officers want. This is not what we need. Now, so he says, you want to give it to us, give it to us in a smaller format and a quicker, easier way to digest it. But eight hours is absurd and insane. You know, somebody checked me. One of those guys I was telling you about checked me said, man, we don't know what the department's planning with tactical training. And I'm like, yeah, but we should make this a priority now to get us better trained to deal with active aggressors, man. This shouldn't be something we're looking to in the future. This should be now. The threat is growing and ever increasing. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And I want to be best prepared to respond to it. And I know we have young officers on the department that pay out of their own pocket to go to get training. And I admire that. But, man, let me tell you something. I've been on 13 years. I have a wife, two kids, limited money and limited time. I wish I had the time and the money to go do these classes like them, but I don't. So I want the PD to step up and say, we're going to give you the time on the clock and we're going to give you the money to go do the training. And And I just don't have it right now. And, you know, this is just the current state of law enforcement, man. We're so more concerned about being woke and being PC as opposed to protecting and saving lives and responding appropriately to a threat. You know, and it's not just on this level, the local level, but, man, this is happening also with our military. We are focusing on the wrong crap. We are not focusing on, you know, violence of action we're not focusing on focusing on you know learning your weapons and your tools we're focusing on pc garbage just like in the navy i saw a video the other day and i swore it was a parody i swore it was a comedy i did not think it was real but it is 100 percent real and it's an article from american military news that says the u.s navy is training troops on gender pronouns and how to create a safe space by using inclusive language an official video revealed the official instructional video filmed in June 2021 and quietly posted online last month to the De- Defense Visual Information Distribution Services opens with a Naval Undersea War- Warfare Center engineer, Johnny Rosan, introducing himself and notifying the viewer that he uses he him pronouns. His fellow host, engineer, Conchi, what kind of name is that? Conchi Vasquez, then says she uses she, her pronouns. Dear America, no, not even dear America, dear military leadership, especially the Navy, do you all not see what's going on currently in Ukraine with Russia? Why are we focusing on pronouns as opposed to becoming lethal warriors for our country? Why is this our focus? Why? There is no safe place in the military. Especially on a damn boat at sea when you get attacked. There's no such thing as a safe base. Who is making these decisions and why? My God. I hope we do not have to go to war with this current administration 
and this current generation, I swear to God, I hope we do not have to go to war. This is ridiculous. This is the wrong focus. The military exists for one reason, to kill people. If you want safe spaces and pronouns, go to college. That is not what the military is for. Why are we doing this to our country? Why are we? We are setting ourselves back. Dude, China just built like five freaking giant aircraft carriers. And what are we doing? We're building safe spaces for our military men and women. Well, excuse me, I'm part. I don't mean to misgender you. I don't know what you identify as. This is ridiculous, man. Absolutely ridiculous. This is embarrassing, especially for me as someone who served in the military. And my God, if you're in the Navy right now, I'm hey man, I wouldn't even admit that to anybody. I'd be lying. I don't ever agree with a veteran lying, but I'd be quick to if I was in the Navy, be like, no, nah, I'm in the Marine Corps, dog. Nah, I ain't got nothing to do with that, homie. And but I know, hey, the Marine Corps is still a department of the Navy. But my God, how do we get here? Not just that, why do we keep going down the same path? This is what happens in a garrison military when we're not at war and we're not fighting anybody. Dumb stuff just starts to go awry. One of my buddies commented, this is why he hates Garrison. Brother, I agree with you. I hated Garrison. I hated being stateside in the military. Being overseas was great because we actually had a job and a focus and there was real danger. But now since there's no danger, we're focused on making it safe for everybody and practicing on our pronouns and not our rifles. And Russia and China are laughing their asses off at us right now. And this is exactly why Russia did what they did in Ukraine, because they see us as weak and we're not focused on the right things. We are focusing on the wrong things. We need more training and not on gender pronouns. My God, this is embarrassing, man. Uh, you know, I'm almost kind of ready for the apocalypse at this point. I'm just ready for it to all be over. Just Jesus, come take us home, Lord. Come take us home for the love of God, please. Just what has happened to my country? I just don't understand. And it just is like it's not getting any better. And I'm trying not to be negative. I'm trying to be positive. But this does not make me feel positive or encouraged at all. None of this garbage I've talked about today. And before we get ready to get done with this show, one last thing I want to talk about. I got to address to my people on the right, my fellow conservatives and Republicans. The Juneteenth controversy. You know, I never imagined that Juneteenth would be very controversial, but apparently it is to most of us on the right side of the aisle, which is ironic and bizarre, considering Juneteenth wouldn't have happened without the Republicans and the conservatives. But because I guess, let's be honest, the reason the whole reason Juneteenth came about as a federal holiday was because of President Biden. And the reason a lot of, I guess, Republicans and conservatives refuse to acknowledge it or celebrate it, it's simply because the Democrats and the left use this as a political issue to gain favor amongst the black people in America to gain votes. I just, we cannot deny that. I will not deny that whatsoever. That is exactly why Joe Biden came up with Juneteenth. That's the only reason. Now we can say he came up with Juneteenth, but the reason he made it a federal holiday. That's all it was. And I acknowledge that. And I, I feel like it was it was definitely done to divide and cause further racial strife between the left and the right, black and white. I, I agree. But to me, as a conservative, as a Republican and regretfully a Republican right now with the way whew, I'm not going to get off on the tangent. I just had to throw that out there. 
just not digging the government right now, but you know, the whole reason I'm able to look at Juneteenth as a positive thing is sometimes you got to strip things away and look at it at its core. Strip away the politics of Juneteenth and you will see that it's something to celebrate because black people being enslaved in America for so long and the end of slavery. And I know people get real technical about the date of which we should celebrate Juneteenth. They say it's a regional holiday for Texas because other people have been freed and we shouldn't do it on this day because, you know, the Emancipation Proclamation was signed this day, but, you know, people were still enslaved here and there. And this is what I call splitting hairs. And that's all people are in the, my fellow conservatives and Republicans are doing right now is just splitting hairs over Juneteenth and they call it a woke holiday. It was made a woke holiday by Joe Biden and them, but it's not a woke holiday to me because this is an actual event that happened and it affected hundreds of thousands of black people in the South in uh, Galveston, Texas. It's something to be celebrated. You know, and regardless of what day we celebrate it on, I think it's the spirit of the celebration but see, people aren't able to remove their bias and their personal feelings from Juneteenth because of the politics that have gotten involved in it. Hence why I say I hate politics because politics ruins everything. Yo, but my issue was when people do acknowledge Juneteenth and people get offended, not just people, but people on the right, conservatives and Republicans. And the only reason we should be offended is because we dropped the ball and we did not do this sooner. You know, so Nine Line Apparel, who's I love their clothing. I love I love what they do over there. They made a post on Juneteenth and it said today we celebrate the end of slavery in the U.S. and honor the courage, strength and determination of the black community. Help us honor our fellow Americans. They put a little emoji American flag hashtag Juneteenth. And then it's the uh, the meme. It says injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Whatever affects one directly affects all directly. Martin Luther King. Man, this post set people on fire and because it was on Father's Day. So it was like, what about Father's Day? Well, Juneteenth just so happens to land on Father's Day. It doesn't take away from Father's Day, you know, but man, people were so upset with Nine Line Apparel. Oh, y'all, y'all gone woke. I'm canceling my subscription. I knew you all weren't a real company. I knew you didn't. You're not real Americans. You're not real conservatives. You're not real Republicans celebrating Juneteenth. And there's just so many comment after comment after comment of freedom loving freedom fighters on the right conservatives who cling to love freedom, but won't acknowledge Juneteenth because it's a woke holiday, according to them. You know, and see, this is my issue. People like I say people cannot remove the politics from anything because it's so ingrained in everything we do in this country. You know, they just can't take away from that and look at it at the surface stripped away from politics as this is a good thing. Yes, we know people used it as a political ploy, but look at it on the surface. Juneteenth is a beautiful holiday. No matter why it came about or how, who put it in there, this is something to celebrate. So you have to separate yourself from your politics, man. You really do. I'm a black man in America. You know, my ancestors were one time enslaved, but thank God we are not. And it doesn't matter to me if it was on, you know, some people are arguing over the accurate date of Juneteenth that, you know, it should be you know, January 1st, 1863, when, you know, the Emancipation Proclamation was signed. Some people say that it should be, you know, we should celebrate the on a 
January 31st, or uh, excuse me, December 6th, 1865, when the 13th Amendment was signed in and abolished slavery. You know, we just keep splitting hairs over stupidity. Either way, can we just celebrate the fact that slavery in America was ended and is no longer allowed? Can we just celebrate that fact without politics? Why do we have to make everything a political issue? You know why people have to make it a political issue? For clicks and likes, because controversy sells. And I'm not here to sell controversy. I'm here to sell reasonableness. I'm here to celebrate the fact that my ancestors and me as a very dark-skinned black man in America, I didn't wake up and have to go pick cotton today. And it's too damn hot to pick cotton if I had to anyway. So I would have been one of them very disrespectful slaves on as hot as it's been here in uh, Kentucky. I ain't no way I'm picking cotton, man. I'm just very happy I don't have to live that life. And we just cannot seem to celebrate that. And it just breaks my heart to see conservatives so ingrained in the politics of this thing that we just can't acknowledge the beauty of Juneteenth. And that's why I said, as I'm a, I'm a conservative. Unfortunately, I'm a Republican with our current leadership. Yo, but this is a beautiful holiday, people. Just take it for what it's worth. You don't have to go out and shoot off fireworks and acknowledge, you know, Juneteenth. But don't be disrespectful about it. My God, man. And like I said, this is Juneteenth does not replace the 4th of July. Juneteenth should be celebrated in addition to the 4th of July. Because, like I said, as a freedom-loving patriot and the American-loving guy that's almost died for this country, the 4th of July is my all-time favorite holiday. Because without the 4th of July, there would have never been a Juneteenth. And so I place the 4th of July above all other federal holidays because this is my country. I have shed blood for this country. I've almost lost my arm for this country. I've had friends that have died for this country, all colors. And to me, the 4th of July reigns supreme. And yes, I acknowledge Juneteenth. I'm not going to say I celebrate it, but I acknowledge it and I'm happy about it. And I don't shame anybody that decides to go off and shoot fireworks or whatever. You know, I, I don't see nothing wrong with it. But to sit here and just not acknowledge it and just say this ain't our holiday, that's extremely disrespectful to me because that is a part of our history that should be acknowledged, especially by Republicans, because we are the ones that have fought for the freedom of black people since then and currently. But we let the Democrats, the ones that kept us in slavery and continue to keep us on the government tit. We let them take advantage of something we should have done a long time ago. So Republicans dropped the ball on this, plain and simple. And so now we can't be mad that somebody else picked up the ball and ran it in for six, dog. We just we just can't be mad about it. We dropped the ball, so it is what it is, man. But for people on the right not to acknowledge Juneteenth, it, it's I don't get it, but that's why I say politics. I, I hate politics. <laughs> I say I don't have a problem with organizations not acknowledging Juneteenth. But I do have a problem with organizations stepping up and crapping on Juneteenth. But so for non-line to acknowledge Juneteenth and acknowledge, you know, freedom and the end of slavery. I mean, I applaud Nonline Apparel for that. And just because of that, I'm going to go and buy me a shirt or something nice from Nonline Apparel just to support them, because I think that's admirable what they have done. That's awesome. And to everybody else, all these freedom loving conservatives out there. I'm canceling y'all, man. I can't stand you. You're a woke company now. Shut up. Man, they have over a million followers and they doing their thing over there. So 
So you're going to cancel now and go ahead because I'm almost positive. They really don't give a damn if you do or not. They got plenty of support. And that's why I will continue to support Nylon Apparel. Like Black Rifle didn't even acknowledge Juneteenth. But you know what? That's okay. And I love Black Rifle. But guess what? They didn't crap on it. So I'm all right with it, man. All right. And before we get ready to end the show, I told you I had a new segment on here called Ask Dex Anything. And I have two questions that I'm going to answer for people. One, Mr. Brett Hatfield, he says, Mr. Pitts, I was hoping you could answer on your podcast. When do you think your audiobook would come out? Well, I am currently working on chapter 24 out of 28 chapters. So I have four more chapters to read. Then I have to submit to Audible and hopefully everything goes smooth. And so I'm hoping to at least have that done. I mean, I keep saying like this month, but I mean, it keeps getting pushed out because of my work schedule and just life in general. So I'm hoping what this is what June. So maybe by the end of July, August, hopefully that's what I'm shooting and aiming for. That would be really, really nice because I really want to get it done because I am tired of sitting in this hot ass closet and reading in here because of the acoustics are better. And I'm ready to move back down into my basement to the studio so I can have a little bit more room. Then also I have three questions from my homeboy Corbin Sievers. If you don't know who it is, I've been on the show a couple of times. His podcast is Book Task, Book Talk with Corbin. My God, I don't know what's going on with me today, y'all. Forgive me. I have been stumbling all over the place. This is what happens when you take off too much time from the mic. I am not myself, so pardon me. But So Corbin brought me three questions. He says, one, who are your two favorite jazz artists and why? Corbin, you know me. I don't really listen to jazz, brother. I don't know anything. It's the first thing about it. <laughs> I am not that I am not a jazz guy, my friend. Second one, what is your favorite Shakespeare play? I'll be honest, I'm not a big Shakespeare person, but I did like reading Othello when I was in high school. But I'll be honest, if you ask me what Othello is about, I cannot recall. I just remember I enjoyed it. (laughs) But I guess I've done so much since then, so I don't remember. And what are your general thoughts about Elon Musk buying Twitter? Uh, I think it's pretty cool. I mean, the fact that Twitter is such a, I wouldn't know what to call it, a, (laughs) Twitter's a far left think tank, I guess. And the fact that, you know, they're very socialist and liberal and shutting down people's thoughts and speech. The fact that a, (laughs) I'm not going to call Elon Musk a conservative because he's truly not. But the fact that somebody that's a big time capitalist could come in and give them enough money to make them change their stance and buy their company just shows that capitalist wins over socialism because all everybody care about is the money. So I think it's cool. So when I, like I said, I've not been on Twitter and I've recently signed up on Twitter after learning about that, but that's if the deal even goes through. So I'm a, I think it's a good idea. I think it's a good thing as long as he does right by it, but I'm not going to sit here and say he's doing this for American citizens because this man's going to get paid off it one way or another. But I think it's pretty cool that he's doing it, man. And so those are the only two questions I have. If anybody has any questions that they would like to like for me to respond to on my opinion or view on something, send me an email at I am at Yahoo dot com. Also, like I've said earlier, the books out, I am Pitts Memoirs of an American Patriot. And it took me seven years to write this book, and I am so glad that I did. I've sold over 2,000 books at this point, I believe. And honestly, I don't really care about the money. I just care about the story getting out and 
biggest thing for me is I want people to know what it's like for service members overseas coming home. And more than anything, I want people to see what it was really like for officers on the front line during 2020. And especially with the ongoing Roe v. Wade and the possible protests and riots popping up again. I just feel like you all need to get a front row seat to what it's like being in uniform on the front line during this craziness. So if you want a copy, go to IamPits.com and visit. You can buy a copy there or you can go to Amazon.com, put in I Am Pitts, Memoirs of the American Patriot by Dexter Pitts. You can get a copy there. Or if you want a personalized autograph, signed copy by me. Send me an email at IamPitts at Yahoo.com and I will tell you how to purchase a signed copy from me. Man, thank you all for tuning in once again. And my apologies on this one, y'all. I have been, like I said, I've been out of the loop. I'm mumbling and stumbling and I'm having trouble reading this morning. My God, I don't know what is wrong with me. But my life has been a whirlwind the last few weeks, but it's good to be back on the mic. And hopefully I can get myself together for the next episode and interview I'm about to do. And I'm not stumbling and fumbling around. So my God, forgive me. My brain is only halfway functioning, but then again, I only have half a brain anyway, so I only have one one half of a half of a brain that's functioning right now. So don't judge me, but just let me say once again, thank you all for tuning in. Thank you for gifting me with your most precious commodity, your time. Thank you for listening to me, and I appreciate you all. And if you could, please share the show. Uh, also, if you could, rate the show. But other than that, I'm going to go ahead and close this one out and try to get myself together and enjoy the rest of my weekend. So once again, thank you all for tuning in. Every download means the world to me. You all mean the world to me. So thank you for listening. And I will see you all on the next one.